Our scripture comes from Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 22. There was a famine in Bethlehem of Judah. Naomi, Elimelech, and their two sons, Malan and Kilian, they, though they were Ephratites from Bethlehem, they went to Moab on the other side of the Jordan River, and they lived there. Elimelech died, and so Naomi was left alone with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. Ten years later, Naomi's sons died. Naomi had nothing. So she left Moab to return to Bethlehem, where she had heard God had blessed God's people. She set out along the road, Orpah and Ruth with her. Along the way, Naomi turned to her daughters-in-law. Go home, she told them. There is nothing for you where I am going, and I have nothing to give you. I cannot give you sons to marry. I cannot help you. Her daughters began to weep, and they cried out loudly to God, We want to go with you, Naomi. Naomi yelled back to them, I have nothing to give you, no home, no husband, no sons. Go home to your people where you might find hope. They all began to cry again. Orpah kissed Naomi goodbye and returned home. Ruth insisted on staying. Ruth said, don't tell me to leave. I will go with you. Where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Naomi understood Ruth could not be convinced to go back home. So they set off down the road to Bethlehem. When they got to Naomi's homeland, the women in Bethlehem could not believe Naomi had returned home. Is this the same woman who left? They asked. Naomi hid her face, ashamed of her lack and her, and her desperation. Don't call me Naomi. God has abandoned me. Call me Mara because I am very bitter. This is the story of how Naomi returned to Bethlehem at the time of the spring barley harvest. Naomi is a person who has absolutely nothing. I mean, the Bible tells us over and over again, Naomi has nothing. Naomi is left with nothing. Naomi has to leave her homeland because of famine. She goes to a place where she is not welcome. Moab and Ephraim had had fights. They were not tribes that got along. They were not Israel tribes that liked each other very much. They lived across the river from one another. And sometimes familiarity breeds contempt. Naomi had nothing, and they left home to find a little bit of hope. When they got there, Elimelech, her husband, died, leaving Naomi with her two sons. And at this point, she was okay, because she still had her two sons. She was going to be all right. They were going to marry women, preferably Israelites that came with them, but, you know, if they have to settle for Moabites, that's okay. And they were going to have children. And she was going to be blessed, because she had, she still had something to hold on to. They had, the, they had gotten married, her two sons. They fulfilled their duty to their mother. They were supposed to marry two women, and they did, and they lived together for 10 years and had no children. Now, the Bible is full of stories of women who are barren, who do not have children, and the desperate lengths that they go to in order to have children. But I don't want you to hear this story that way. Because if anything, the fault here is not with Ruth and Orpah. Because the continuing link in this line is not 
not the two women that the men married, but the two sons who did not bear children. We know a little bit about genetics nowadays, and if two different sons probably don't have children, the lack is not in the women. But in those days, there was a lack. There was a blame. Naomi had done something wrong. It was her fault that there were no children in these marriages. It was Ruth's fault and Orpah's fault, and so they were women who were left with nothing. Just nothing left. She doesn't have a home to live in. She has no sons left, and her wife, her sons' wives held no um, requirement to stay with her. They should go home to their families. That's what they were supposed to do. And so Naomi was left by herself alone. She liked the weeping. You know, have you ever gotten these patterns where it feels better to feel sad than it does to reach for happiness? She runs around telling people not to call her Naomi anymore. Call me Mara because I am bitter. I am angry and I'm bitter and I want everybody to know that I'm angry and I'm bitter. And she goes home. That's the only choice she had left. The only choice she had left was back to Bethlehem, that long walk through the desert, where maybe somebody would take pity. She liked it a little bit too much. She wanted to live and take this walk on her own. She had too much pride when it came down to it, to admit that she needed help. And then Ruth shows up. just as gone as your husband is. I got nothing either, and you can tell me to go home, but I'm not going home. I'm going to be here. And Naomi, if anything, gets more angry. She gets more upset. She gets more bitter because Ruth won't let her be alone in her pain, in her suffering. Naomi is known as a bitter woman. bookstore when they list heroes of the Bible. There are any books written about Naomi's struggle. There are no curriculums or stories out there that I could find that lift Naomi up as an example of who to be in the Bible. In fact, when it came down to it, she not only had nothing, but she was left with nothing, not even dignity. wondering if her name was Job, would this be a different story? Would we think of Naomi differently if her name was Job instead? And I can tell you that from my point of view, everything that I read about Job, his story is exactly the same. He loses his family, his household, his job. He gets diseases and he's left with nothing. And yet we hold Job up as a hero, as a person who was full of faith, who was strong, who stood up for God against his friends. Naomi, who 
based on our conceptions of how they should have reacted. You should react to this suffering in this way because I've decided that this is the appropriate way for you to react. There are so many reasons that we decide how we think other people should behave. There are so many ways that we think that other that we decide how other people should suffer that have nothing to do with who that person is. So many of us have experienced suffering and loss. So many of us have had times where we felt like we have nothing left. Many of us, most of us, are not refugees. We didn't have to leave our homeland to search for food. We didn't have to do that, but we've been in places where food was scarce. Where we had to make choices about paying the bills or buying groceries. When we've been left with nothing, when loved ones have left us, when friendships have broken, when we feel like there's nothing left. I got to thinking the other day about um, the knock-on effects of the pandemic. I was reading a book. Um, you know, when you're sick um, and you have, you know, to stay in bed, and you get to read a book you've been wanting to read for a really long time. And most people might choose something different than what I chose, which was, <laughs> I, you know, I had COVID, so I decided I should read a book about a pandemic, because that, that would help. Um, and so I read this book about the 1918 Spanish flu influenza uh, pandemic, right? Which, first of all, started in Kansas. So, um, why we call it Spanish flu? No idea. Um, but at the very end of the book, they went through all the knock-on effects of the pandemic. They said 400,000 people died in the space of six weeks. Most of them in the army, and most of them between 20 and 35 years of age. Tragic. They said, you know what? We didn't really learn any of the consequences of the pandemic until five years later, when people began showing up with other diseases, and when the economic effects started showing up. And oh yeah, by the way, um, Woodrow Wilson got the flu, and which is why the treaty was so bad. In fact, he argued that World War II wouldn't have happened if there hadn't been the pandemic. Then I'm thinking about how we have all been in the midst of a suffering moment. We were two years ago stripped of everything that we knew. We were locked into our homes. We were broken friendships. We've lost relationships. We've lost friendships, we've lost people that we love, we've lost jobs, and at times we feel like everything is unfamiliar and like we're in a strange land. And I think it's going to be years before we really know how much we lost. And we have nothing often when we feel this way. We've had to make all these choices about the virus and how we were going to react, the choices that um, how we were going to behave in the midst of all of this, and then we have to make choices now about relationships that we broke because our politics became more important than our friendships. And we've believed lies instead of God's truth, and we've trusted people where we should have heard God's voice instead. We've lost the comfort of the familiar and of the normal and of the everyday of the all did. should also recognize in Naomi that deep well of loss. 
one step in front of the other and pretended like everything was okay. And we would be fine. And all that's done is isolate ourselves. And all that's done is lock us into our house. And all that is done is made us, like Naomi, too comfortable with our suffering. We've isolated and we withdraw. And we see everyone as the enemy. And we hide our needs so that others don't see how vulnerable. There's always going to be somebody who shows up and says, I'm going to be here whether you like it or not. And it may not be a person, it may be a job, it may be a responsibility, it may be your kids who demand that you take care of them even though you don't feel very good. None of us are alone. None of us are alone in our suffering, none of us are alone in our loss, none of us are alone walking that road into the we don't really know. Sometimes when we feel like there's nothing left, it can be more painful to allow Ruth to step up and to offer a hand. Denial can be easier. But the place we are now is not the place where we were, and it was not the place that we will be. And our memories trick us. And we believe that what was is safer than what will be, and because we have changed. All of that has changed. We can hide ourselves, and we can hide and pretend like we've got it all in control, and we're not suffering or angry or losing anything. We can feel that. And we can choose whether to accept Ruth's help, whether to receive that as an offer of love or a threat. Or we can choose the hope of the road that we're walking. Many times when we experience loss, we choose desolation and bitterness. And we get into isolation and we choose anger. And we avoid the hurt of an offered hand. God has blessed God's people. God is returning home. God has always been home. And when we open our ears and our hearts to hear that message, we like Naomi, can take a step forward into hope and accept the hand that is offered. Naomi knew this truth. Paul spoke this in Romans 8, and it says, Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? In all these things you are more than conquerors through Christ who loves you. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will separate us from the love of God. So when the wind howls and the rain falls and the walls of your heart and your house start closing in, you can speak faith into the wind. You can hear the message that God sent to Job saying, who are you? I am the creator of the universe. I call forth the mountains, and I fill the seas, and I will not abandon. 